podcast from clippingchains.com where we are funding the adventurous life. This is your host Chad Andrews and hi how are you? How do you like my intro music? I don't know it's kind of classy. I like it. Do you guys like classy? I'm feeling classy. I feel pretty good. Uh, Today I'm very excited to bring you a live in the flesh interview with a new friend of mine uh, Meg Tritt. He's a Denver-based climber. He achieved financial independence and he actually retired and walked away from his mechanical engineering job at age 35. Mike is basically now climbing full-time, and when he's not, he's at home. He's supporting his fiancée, Susanna, in her career, where she's essentially chosen to stay back and focus on her job. Uh, she, she, too, could walk away from her job, but that's where Mike and her are different, and that inter- interesting kind of intersection makes um, this all the more fascinating. So we want to talk about how Mike is juggling climbing, Uh, with a career before he ever walked away. And then what he's doing now that Susanna wants to stay home and be focused on her career, yet Mike has all the time in the world to go out and pursue these long trips, to be on the road, and how we all balance that, which I think I certainly can relate, and I think many of you out there will wonder how you can balance this need to be out climbing, traveling, but also keeping significant others happy, being focused on a career, and being focused a bit more on traditional work, which for the vast majority of us is still a fact of life. And to make one thing clear, I want to, I want to point out, Mike didn't put climbing aside to solely focus on his career with it, with this end game of financial independence or early retirement. Um, In fact, as we'll discuss in this episode, as soon as Mike left his career, walked away from his job, he headed almost essentially straight to the Red River Gorge and sent his first 514 Omaha Beach. So this is not a guy who was only focused on career, putting climbing on the back burner. No, he was building a base of really hard, really high-end climbing for years, while also uh, scrounging away some money to be able to have the full freedom life he has now. So where's Mike as a climber? Well, he's sent over 1,000 routes, 512 and up, which is a huge, impressive feat. Um, I, I would love to have those kind of numbers. And what I can attest is that he has this really cool laid-back style about his climbing that is, frankly, at, at odds with a lot of high-end, top-performing climbers that we see. It's this refreshing kind of vibe of, eh, you know, no big deal. And that's pretty rare for someone climbing at the, uh, at the upper end. So, for those of you new here, Mike achieved financial independence. And I want to briefly pause just to set the scene on what we're talking about when we say financially independent. So. The generally accepted definition is that an individual or family is able to save at least 25 times their annual expenses in some sort of interest compound generating investment. I mean, you could do this with cash, but you'd need a lot more cash. And so for an average family, say, spending $40,000, we would need to save upwards of $1 million or more, which sounds insane, right? It sounds absolutely insane to save that much money by your 30s, and in some cases, people in their 20s. But it's not so insane once you understand some simple system and methods for a lot of folks out there. And we talk a bit about the kind of simple methods um, that Mike, um, that I and my wife have used to achieve this level of, of financial independence and, and freedom when it comes to jobs and, and purpose in our lives. So we'll get into that a bit with, with Mike. 
And, and I've got, there's a lot of stuff on the background here on the website that you'll find. I've, I've added some key links for relevant topics to the show notes. And I want to, I want to point out that this podcast is indeed an extension of the website where I write uh, nearly every week about relevant content to pursuing financial independence. And that's specifically from the viewpoint of, uh, you know, I'm a climber, but I'm an adventurous guy. I like a lot of things in the outdoor world. And so maybe you'll find some sort of relatability to you. So if, if that's something that interests you, I recommend coming over to the website, subscribing, and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll explore topics of financial strength and what that gets us in life. So without further ado, let's get into this fantastic and wide-ranging interview with Mike Trick. Okay, so I just want to kind of use what you've given me as a background. Okay. And and because this is a, it's not a climbing website, but it's for climbers. So I obviously love to start, and like I did with this, mm-hmm. with the taste of you as a climber, just to kind of set the stage. Because I wanted to separate this from all the other websites out here doing similar things that don't have that kind of outdoor lifestyle. Because that's where I really hear a lot of feedback from folks. They're like, well, you know, this finally was something I could relate to because I'm a climber or I'm a diehard mountain biker or something like that. Okay. Um, kind of just like, you know, if you pursue financial independence, what are you going to do right. with, with your life yeah. type of thing? And I think people really like that stuff, especially now. Um, um, yeah, folks are really excited about, yeah, it's not, there's a whole lot of information out there on how you get from point A to point B. Mm-hmm. Um, the internet's awash with how to save money and to invest money, which I still talk about. I still think that stuff's important. Um, but, and we're going to talk about that a bit with you as well, but I think a lot of people want to know, okay, then what, you know, okay. if you, if you achieve financial independence in your thirties or forties, life is long. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, and we're rolling here anytime. So, so, you know, you're no slouch as a climber. Um, I, you know, I've known you through friends of friends here for a couple of years and we've climbed together recently in St. George, and now we're sitting here. Um, we're in Maple Canyon. We just got rained out. We've been sitting around <laughs> waiting for the rest of the day to get something done, but here we are in the back of um, Mike's, uh, what, what is this? This, this is, is a, a four-wheel camper. Four-wheel slide-in camper. Yes, we're it's four, sitting on four-wheel the camper mounted on a tundra. That's right. And just, so that's the life. Um, I mean, tell me, I mean, walk, how, you know, tell me a, a little bit about, you know, when you started climbing, kind of some, uh, you know, we've, we've talked a bit about some achievements you're pretty happy about. Just walk me through that a little bit. Yeah. So I started climbing back in 2003 um, when I moved to New Mexico from Pennsylvania. I'd always, uh, there's something that always interested me, but growing up in Pennsylvania, I had no access to rock climbing. So when I moved out to New Mexico, had the opportunity to go outside and I was instantly hooked. It came what I was doing on the weekends and uh, any vacation trips that I could put together. So you were climbing in Pennsylvania or no? No, no. Not just, at all. just when I moved to New right. Mexico. Yeah. So I was 23. And so did work bring you to New Mexico or school? Yeah. So yeah. whenever I finished college, I had a job offer from Sandia National Labs. Oh, okay. Um, that took me to New Mexico. So I got about a two-week break between college and uh, starting work in New Mexico and moved out and everything. And then I uh, started working there. And then I'd been there a few months and was kind of looking for something to do um, and found found rock climbing. Yeah, we have an interesting 
similar story in that regard. I mean, I, I didn't cli- discover climbing until I was uh, 26, I believe, in the gyms in Houston. And, and same story, ended up somewhere for work, needed a hobby, needed something as an outlet from work. Um, so yeah, I mean, so you're, you're a mechanical engineer mm-hmm. by trade. So yeah. what, what was it about Sandia? I mean, is that, was that a military contract or is that so private it's, sector? It's one of the Department of Energy national labs, mm-hmm. uh, that primarily they, uh, do the, uh, nuclear weapons stockpile is what Sandia, Los Alamos, Lawrence Livermore are kind of the big three that do the, uh, nuclear weapons stockpile. Um, so yeah, it was basically, it was a, it was a job offer, uh, right as my second semester started, it was a pretty good job offer. So I jumped on that and took that and I was going to move and kind of see the U S a little bit and second semester in New Mexico. Cool. So I was second semester senior year. Oh, I see. I see. I was like, wow, that's (laughs) yeah, that'd be pretty early. Be there in three and a half years. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so yeah, back to climbing. So you you started climbing in New Mexico, and I've known a few people that started down there, and I I think there are actually some pretty big names coming out. John Cardwell came Mm -hmm. out of Albuquerque, and our mutual friend Mark um, as well. So yeah, I mean, so where'd you take it from there? So that's what now, Ben, and you are 40, correct? Yeah, yeah, Yeah. so that was 17, 18 years ago now. Um, So yeah, from there, you know, I, I mainly climbed a lot in New Mexico whenever I could get the vacation together to take a trip. Like I could often drive to Mexico, to Monterey, um, El Potrero Chico, El Salto, um, went to Thailand, uh, but mostly just climbed around the Western, the Western U S where I could get to in a, in a day's drive. Tonsai? Um, Chiang Mai? Yeah. Tonsai. Okay. Yeah. I did a little bit of that too. Yeah. Honeymoon. Yeah. Nice. Well, cool. So, tell me, yeah. So we've 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 talked a bit about some of your favorite achievements. I mean, so just quickly before we get into kind of this other kind of non climbing related stuff. I mean, what are you psyched on you've done over the years? Yeah. So, uh, well, my big achievements was uh, ascending uh, Omaha Beach, fourteen uh, A in the in Red River Gorge. Um, I did that right when I finished working. Um, I felt like I had kind of had that climb picked out it suited my strengths perfectly. It's a long, super overhanging endurance route with, uh, with no hard moves for the grade. Um, so I figured that would suit me perfectly. And that fall after finishing working, I drove out to Kentucky and spent uh, like five weeks there. So we're, we're jumping the gun here. Was this when you were finished working for good? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So. You know, to set the stage of where we're going with this, Mike and I also have a pretty similar situation in that we, you know, had some sort of impetus, work-related impetus, where we decided um, that there was a path that we didn't necessarily have to do this forever, and that there was some financial kind of trickery um, where we could get to ourselves to a situation where work would become optional. Um, the time frame would vary, of course, depending on um, your ability to save, market conditions, and a lot of other factors. Um, but you did at, at the age of 35, 35, get to a point where you could walk away from work. Um, so, I mean, how, how did this happen? I mean, what led to this decision? Had you always been a a frugal guy? I mean, what (laughs) what, what sets the stage there? Um, yeah, so I was always kind of a frugal guy. Um, I kind of felt like, you know, I had a lot of fun in college and had zero money. Um, so I kind of just kept, <laughs> kept kind of that, uh, college lifestyle going without, you know, too, too much, uh, lifestyle creep. Mm. Um, so kind of just stayed frugal. 
Um, and basically, um, I was able to save up a fair bit. Uh, I should also mention, like, I couldn't do it without my great significant other, Susanna, mm-hmm. who's been very supportive of, uh, of me, uh, quitting, quitting the full-time, the full-time work. And she has continued to work, which we'll, we'll talk about, which is an interesting kind of juxtaposition. You know, you're living this kind of full freedom life where she has chosen, right? Chosen to stay on and, you know, kind of highlights that, that need for purpose, that kind of need, which she very much feels she needs. Right. Um, sorry, not to interrupt. (laughs) Yeah. So for me, basically I would be at work at the office and just kind of feel like my life was just slipping away, you know, as I was uh, there doing, doing CAD, CAD design. Um, and so to me, it was an easy decision, um, to step away, uh, to basically live more frugal so I could step away, Mm -hmm. um, from the, from the 40 hour a week. Right. Okay. So let's get into that a little bit because there's a lot of people who are frugal. And so we can imagine a situation where you're saving money. You're obviously saving more mm-hmm. than you're spending, maybe 50%. I don't know what your numbers were specifically. So what, what are you doing with that money? I mean, where do, you, where do you take it from I'm a frugal guy, I'm saving, to now at 36, I don't have to work ever again? <laughs> yeah. So I think like most people in the fire movement, it was kind of the uh, um, um, vanguard, you know, low-cost ETFs. Um, well, we okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break in. I'm just going to assume no one knows anything. Okay. Okay, so let's just say, <laughs> so for anyone tuning in for the first time, like, I'm a climber, what is this? The FIRE movement is this movement around, uh, it's kind of a catchy acronym, right? It's, it's this movement for financial independence slash retire early. And the retire early, I should point out, is very much an optional part of it. The financial independence is a, is a point financially where you have investments. In your case, you were investing in, in uh, broad-based index funds, mm-hmm. essentially, right? Yep. And so you get to a point with those where your savings all of a sudden, through growth in the market, are generating enough money that they're actually creating their own paycheck, correct? Yep. Um, and so what folks can do with this is over time— um, you know, if you get to a point where all of a sudden you have a, a substantial net worth that you, that the, the growth in the market, the supposed growth in the market each year is enough to pay for your life, then work becomes optional. And so, you know, walk me through how long it took for you to get there. Okay. Yeah. So roughly it took us from, I guess I started working and saving in 2003, got, very serious about it in about 2010 that's whenever i started you know looking into financial independence um reading you know starting to read the blogs and everything um and then just recently i suppose like 2019 2020 we got to the point where we were in the um four percent you know where we spent less than 4% of our invested assets. Um, so uh, for the, if anyone doesn't know what that means, the kind of rule of thumb for uh, um, retiring early is you roughly want uh, to be spending less than 4% of your invested assets each year. Um, and it can certainly vary depending on how conservative or aggressive you are. But you um, walked so, you walked away before you were at that point, yes. knowing that you were with you yes, had a significant knowing other. that Susanna was going to continue to work, 
Um, so whenever I originally walked away, we, you know, I was not drawing down from those investments that can continue to accumulate. So was there a moment, I mean, so what brings you to even start all this? I mean, was there a moment, was it just this slow insidious creep into, I just don't like this anymore? Or was there like a spark catalyst that said, you know, F this, you know? Yeah. For me, it was seeing the rock climbing lifestyle. It (laughs) It was the first time. I'd ever see people who just didn't work all the time, you know, uh, growing up in the Northeast, you know, people would get their, get their career, probably go to an employer that they were at for their 30 years, collect a pension. And then, you know, maybe they would do early retirement from the pension and everything at, you know, 55 or, or so, and that would cover them until social security. Uh, then through rock climbing, I saw a lot of different lifestyles out there where people just didn't work all the time and um, would either pursue part-time work where they could then take more time off or would do the you know extremely frugal li- life, uh, lifestyle and kind of work as little as possible. So why didn't you just go for that? Um, because... While I am fairly aggressive on investing, like I wouldn't sleep well at night, you know, kind of uh, never knowing, not having any backup plan. You know, if I got injured or or something, basically to pay the hospital bills or, you know, a vehicle breakdown or or whatever. And remind so. me to touch, I want to touch on the healthcare thing. Oh, yeah. But let's not derail quite yet because that's another big one people come up with. Okay. so. And, and I'm 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 more along with you. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I saw this lifestyle, and oh man, I mean, it's romantic for sure. Um, but me being me, and probably you being you to some degree, just something about maybe a slightly conservative nature when it comes to money or or something like that, couldn't quite make the jump. Yeah. Um, I, I'll also add, you know, you see. Uh, some older rock climbers out there, you know, mm-hmm. that now their bodies are broken mm-hmm. and, you know, now they're like, where do I go financially? Right. You know, maybe they're, they're 50, 55, 60, get a big injury. Now it's a GoFundMe situation right. to pay for the right. hospital bills. Right. And I didn't want a situation like that. Mm. Interesting. So you, did you have a pension at the time? Mm-hmm. Or was that something you walked away from? Yeah, so I I do have a pension. I'm vested in it. I'll, oh, you still do? Yeah, yeah so I'll, able... I'll collect it at 65. Oh, interesting. Because a yeah. lot of sometimes they require like a 30-year commitment to stay at the, yeah. like in education, I've seen these where you actually have to work until a certain age to even have it vested. Yeah, so my company, it had a, a five-year vesting period. Oh, wow. And okay. after five years, I was able to collect the pension. Dude, you're lucky because... I don't think a lot of people get pensions anymore. Yeah. I certainly and, didn't. And they they have since, after the 2008 re, uh, recession, they scaled back their pension program for uh, future benefits for me, and then all new hires uh, just got a slightly better 401k match. Hmm. Well, that's a good segue. Let's talk about 2008. Um, you were working during that time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for anyone who... I don't know, maybe was younger during that time or doesn't really pay attention to, I mean, this one would be hard to miss, but this was a global financial crisis. Um, it was a big deal. And you were investing through that time, mm-hmm. I'm assuming. Yeah. Did you do anything? I mean, how, what was it like knowing that you had a bunch of money tied up in a time like that? Yeah. So it was certainly very difficult, you know, watching my investments crash. Uh, Fortunately, I didn't do anything. I kept them all in the uh, in the same al- allocation 
mm-hmm. um, that I had. Uh, if I was to do it differently today, I would have invested more during that period. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, rather, I think I'd just seen the market collapse. So I think any extra income I had, I used to pay down a house I had at the time. Okay. Which I should have put that in the stock market, but that's something I learned. Well, I learned been since there then. You know, hindsight's yeah. twenty twenty. there. And that's, that's a fabulous point. I mean, when you're living these things, I mean, even this past year during the the peak of the lockdowns and the world's kind of falling apart, I mean, the stock market took a pretty good dump. It was short-lived, thankfully. Yeah. And, um, I mean, it, it's easy in hindsight to say, oh, well, you know, everything was good. But when you're living it, it's a little bit of a different story. Yeah, yeah. very much. It's uh, It can be very difficult to invest more whenever the entire financial media, everything you see on TV is just all doom and gloom. Right. So you're putting more money into a sinking ship. Yes. Right. Um, So were you pretty heavily into stocks versus bonds? I mean, kind of roughly, were were you pretty aggressive at the time? Yeah. So I was pretty aggressive then. I still am, you know, we're at Approximately like a 90, 10, 95, 5. Oh, wow. Uh, so you're still quite. Bonds. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, I don't know what folks listening out there, you know, they're. So basically, stocks are going to give you, in theory, you know, over time, a more 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 opportunities for growth, but come with a wild roller coaster ride at, at times. Whereas, uh, you know, bonds, again, in theory, as a baseline explanation, are kind of your hedge against volatility. And when the stock market's down, bonds tend to be up, although I'm not sure that relationship holds as well as it once did. And so, you know, folks in serious about trying to grow, um, putting their money to work will be more heavily stocks, which you are and I was mm-hmm. as well. I mean, I was, through my years of being at work, 95%. Um, we've, we've dialed that back a little bit since neither one of us are working now. Um, Okay, interesting. And so, I mean, how long did this take you? I mean, you from from incip from I discover the blogs, I see the lifestyle to the day you walk out the door. I mean, what yeah. So for me, it was basically two thousand and three until two thousand fifteen. So wow. okay, worked, you know, twelve years, and then for Suzanne and I, it was basically you know seventeen years, roughly two thousand three until two thousand twenty. Right. And, and so, put, to put some qualifiers on it, you don't have children, right? Yes. Right. No children. You know, and I'm in the same boat. You know, I will add that that's not, we'll, we'll certainly talk to other people on this show and you can find them out there on the internet. I mean, having children is certainly not um, a limiting factor to be able to do this, but I mean, let's not lie. I mean, it's a lot easier when you don't have <laughs> yes. one. Yes. <laughs> yes. So, certainly, it helps with the timeline. Yes. I, and I, I'll say like for our future, you know, we're considering having, having children or yeah. planning, you know, the 40,000 a year for, yeah. for that, yeah. which is probably probably more than what we would need, but you know, we're kind of cautious there. So, sure. so Susanna, is that okay if I mm-hmm. use her name? Mm-hmm. Okay. So she is an actuary, Yes, which is a not very well understood career path <laughs> and I'll leave it to folks to Google, but she has decided that she wants nothing of this sort of early retirement life, right? Um, would rather keep the job. Yeah. So, so what's the decision tree there? Well, so what kind of excites her is, is the financial independence part, uh-huh. you know, whereas if, if she right. had two bad weeks, she could, you know, quit, quit her current job, switch to a different job, um, or, you know, take a quick break or whatever, without ever being concerned about the money part. Um, but she definitely enjoys working um, for the personal challenge 
um, of it. Interesting, whenever we met, she was taking a year off uh, to finish her exams and to rock climb. Mm-hmm. And during that time, she realized that she didn't just want to, to have an easy job. Like, she wanted a career. Um, so she went back, like, got her FSA in, in actuary, and uh, then, you know, has pursued it since. Okay. So I guess where, A, do you feel like you need that kind of job-driven purpose? And if so, where do you get it? Yeah, for me, no. <laughs> I certainly do not need that. Um, I I never got a lot of purpose out of out of my job, out of my career. Um, I was always much more of a, a, a work-to-live person. Um, so for me, I got much more satisfaction out of rock climbing or you know a project around the house or something that that i wanted to do you know that was uh that was self-motivated rather than something i was doing you know in the in the corporate world yeah um you know and that's been a new change for me i mean i'm only a year and a half into it and i certainly don't miss the corporate world without a doubt um but I do feel this urge to do something, and maybe that's just I, you know this my need for productivity, which can be a little sick at times. Um, I mean, do you still do you still you you do actually pick up a little bit of work, or you have been? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So this year, actually, for the first time, I actually did engineering work. Um, I I uh, kind of fell into this uh, three month consulting role, um, which I did like twenty hours a week. Um, which was good. I felt like it was good to put something on my resume mm-hmm. after five years, um, just in case something happened and I wanted to go back to engineering. Um, but it made me realize just how fortunate I am every day to be able to like wake up and just kind of do what I want with the day. So it just kind of reinforced how happy I am to not be, <laughs> to not be working all the time. Um, another thing I will say is, yeah, is it just reminds me how fortunate I am and just to kind of seize the day and just, you know, make, make things happen that I want to happen with the, with the time I have. And so that's ended. You've, you've, you're now back to kind of full-time availability. Yeah. Yeah. So take, I mean, so that, that's another thing. All of a sudden you go from working 40 plus hours a week to all the time in the world, theoretically. So, but yet you've got, um, uh, his girlfriend, fiance, or where yeah, are you? Fiance. Yeah, fiance. Yeah, fiance. Okay. Well, congrats. Yeah. Um, so, but you've got a fiance, a partner who's at work. So, I mean, I, I understand this because my wife does not climb, but yet you have this lust for being on the road, for traveling. I mean, how do you navigate that? I mean, and I'm asking for a friend, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So that was certainly a challenge for us at first. Um, at the same time that I quit working, we moved to Denver. Um, it was kind of a difficult transition for me moving to that larger of a city. Mm. Uh, so we first moved, I just want to be on the road all the time, uh, which is very challenging for a relationship. Uh, so now we've kind of worked it out where I will do several short trips and generally a longer trip in the spring and a longer trip in the fall. And then she'll generally fly out and join me for part of that. Is that pretty um, easy going or is there still friction on that? Uh, I think, I think we're in a good place yeah. during that. Yeah. yeah. Like, uh, it certainly took some work yeah. and to figure it out and it's, uh, I had to like scale back, you know, sure. how much, right. how much I was gone. But I think we reached a, a good, uh, a good balance there. Yeah. I mean, I struggle, you know, we talk about, 
you know, I'll say, oh, I'll take a two-week trip, but, you know, as the days approach and I'm about to leave, you know, you can feel that, like, why are you doing this? And it's like all of a sudden you feel guilty, like you're being selfish. And, I mean, my God, climbing is a selfish sport, undoubtedly, but. Yes. Okay. Um, yeah, let's talk about healthcare, actually, why I've got that note fresh in my brain. A lot of people are hesitant to walk away from a job they don't love. 100% because they have health insurance. And so my hunch is because um, your fiance continues to have this job, you're probably comfortably nestled under her plan, right? Mm-hmm. Yep, that's correct. But I'll let you answer it. I mean, what do you do if you're not? What if she decides next year that she also wants to join you on this life of of uh, fun, you know, on the road or something like that? What do you do? Yeah, so... I think we would uh, just go purchase our our private health insurance plans. I wouldn't be comfortable um, living without health insurance. Mm -hmm. I would find that to be uh, too risky, especially because I have had some bad rock climbing injuries. Uh, Never from a bad fall, interestingly enough, but I dislocated my shoulder rock climbing, you know, tore some ligaments in my ankle and such. So. I certainly want, you know, health insurance. So it's something that we would budget for and just, you know, take that, take that on as an expense. And when you say private, I mean, where, where are you going? Like, what are you, what are you looking for? Yeah. So we would probably just go through the exchanges. Um, so this is Obamacare, right? Yeah, Affordable care. Yeah. Act. So this would be the right. ACA. Yeah. We'd go through the ACX, AC exchanges, like perhaps we could set up our, are spending in a way that we might qualify for some subsidies. I think we would be over the over the income really? for two I mean, people. So with, with the with the latest changes actually in the plan um, through what is it the American Cares Act, mm-hmm. they've eliminated the subsidies for two years. Um, and my hunch is that that's going to stick mm. for the long term. So right now the subsidy cliff. So basically, it used to be if you were above four hundred percent poverty level. All of a sudden, you go from subsidized healthcare to zero percent subsidy. Yeah, and so you'd be paying the full sticker price. So for a family of two, that might be it could be twenty thousand dollars a year. It was very hefty and very cost prohibitive. Now, right now, it's a temporary condition, but with the American Cares Act, those subsidies are or the subsidy cliff is gone. And um, of course, they start tearing back the subsidies above that. And so for a family, I mean, you guys are the same as us. So the federal poverty level, I want to say, don't quote me on this, but for two people is like 17,000. So four times that, I think you're into the, oh man, mental math, 60s, 60,000 bucks a year, 65. And so as long as you're not way far and above that, you're probably still getting subsidized healthcare. Okay. And um, so that's the world we're living yeah, in. Yeah, so it would be close yeah. then, I think. Right. Because um, I'll say um, now, like, even though I'm still very frugal, like, Susanna is frugal, but uh, she likes the, the actuary salary. Uh-huh. You know, so we're not, uh, we're kind of going for the fat fire. Okay. Um, and so that would retirement. be a, a quite cushy kind of, yeah. yeah. Yep. So. I mean, yeah, that's an interesting other thing. I mean, so you guys maybe have different spending habits. I mean, is there any friction there? I mean. Oh, yes. Yeah. We had a lot of friction there. Um, may, maybe still do, but it it helped, certainly helps that I'm the frugal one and I'm the one not working. 
That's true. Um, That's true. You know, so if she <laughs> wants to spend more money, she's making great money right. working as an actuary, and she's not in a hurry to quit working. So it, it's something we don't see eye to eye on, but I think uh, we've just, you know, learned to recognize that each person's different. Yeah. And can, you know, can value that. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, and we, we've, we've dealt with this too. And, and sometimes my wife was like, well, you know, we could travel more or spend more on a comfy Airbnb and maybe I should have kept working. Um, so obviously, I mean, you don't want to walk away and wish you hadn't saved enough. I mean, that would be um, my personal advice, but, um, do you, so this is where we differ actually a little bit. I mean, you, you really do wear the badge of being an early triree. I mean, do you, does that ever strike anyone as odd? Do you feel comfortable saying that and just say like, I retired early, even though you're 40 years old? Yeah. Um, definitely not in the rock climbing. Community. Yeah. Seriously. In the rock climbing, you know, I was like, yeah, that that seems perfectly normal, <laughs> you know? Um, but yes, at the dinner party, right. in the dinner party right. conversation, yes, like people certainly find that weird. They're like, well, what, what, what do you do with all your time? Right. You know? Um, so yes. And yeah, generally, you know, I was just telling them, yeah, I, uh, I did get much less satisfaction out of working and I wanted to quit working as soon as reasonably possible. Um, and I was like fortunate enough to be able to pursue that. I mean, so what do you, what do you tell us? I mean, cause I, to this day, I'm, I'm struggling with this. I mean, so a person walks up, but we just moved. So we're getting yeah. this all the time. We're in our new neighborhood and, and, and we're in an, actually our neighborhoods, uh, a lot of retirees, like traditional older retirees mm-hmm. in their sixties, seventies. And everyone wants to know like, Oh, what brought you here? What do you, what do you do? Like, how do you answer that question? Yeah. So I tell them I'm, I'm a stay at home dog dad. <laughs> I love it. It uh, you know, takes care of the dog, and uh, I try to do most of the most of the general life stuff while while Susanna's working. So, and are people accepting of that answer? I mean, or are they just dig in? Or, or yeah, just... like some some will be curious. Some people dig in. Some may think I'm crazy. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> I've been waffling on it, and and I, I don't think you have to be financially independent or retired early to. I mean, I'm sure many climbers can relate who are out on an extended road trip, maybe saved and quit their job and have to face society and answer these questions. So I struggle with it because I mean, not that I identified with being in the corporate world or, or for me being a geologist, I really don't see an image in that. But it is a lot easier at, yeah, the dinner party or the family mm-hmm. gathering to be like, oh, yeah, I work for this big company who gives me yeah. a paycheck and people seem satisfied with that answer yeah and and i mean if people aren't satisfied then i'll say well i was a mechanical engineer right you know like at the uh i guess at the at the intense dinner party conversation you know and i can talk about that a little bit because i keep falling such. back <laughs> on my default answer being what i used to do mm-hmm. and yeah. it's maybe because i'm only a year plus out and i could be like well yeah i find myself hesitating every time i'm like well I did the corporate thing for a while and now I'm, uh, you know, trying writing, web design, all these kind of like half truths that are not lies, but not, I can't just come out and say, I don't work. I don't have a traditional job. I'm afraid of that. So I'm kind of in admiration that you are willing to just be out there about it. I guess maybe it's the time. I mean, were you always this way? I think I always was. You were. It was something I I really, really wanted. So like if people want to judge me on it, okay. Yeah. Well, I think Um, my wife to some degree is also worried about the security aspect. Like if people thought that you have enough money to never work, would you be someone worth taking advantage of or something? Any concerns there? Does that bother you at all? No. I, I mean, 
even though like we're doing well compared to everybody else in Denver, you sure. know, like sure, yeah, it helps to be a, in a big city. It's a very yeah. rich city. Right. Um, I feel like you know we don't have a a million plus dollar house right. or you know two new Teslas in the garage. So yeah, um, so it might be a little different in in St. George. Yeah, style it's, area. It's a different scene. <laughs> it's a different scene. So does Susanna want to, I mean, does she have any plans to join you on this anytime soon? Or is she just, she's pretty going home in the career for a while? Yeah. Um, right now she's pursuing the career. I think, you know, um, children would be the big unknown mm-hmm. that right. she may try to, uh, um, or she may want to like step away more than. And so you do combine finances though. You guys mm-hmm. live this together. Yeah. 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 yeah which, uh. You know, fortunately, she she has no issues with. Uh, she's just happy if I can uh, get all the grocery shopping done and all the all the life stuff. Which, yeah, uh, she would much rather do her career than uh, going to the grocery store. Yeah, tell me about that. I forgot you you said you actually kind of do like Susanna's focus on her work, and you handle the house. You handle. Yeah. Are you cooking? Are you doing everything? Like, uh, we kind of split the cooking because yeah. um, I cook really really basic. So, if she wants a true a, traveling glamour, yeah. she wants to cook a more like complicated meal, then we'll split mm-hmm. that. But yeah, certainly all the grocery shopping, all the paying of bills, or you know, all the personal finance stuff, all mm-hmm. the all the day to day life. You know, um, if you know we need to do something with a vehicle or you know or whatever, uh, I can't. I handle all of that. And so she's pretty happy just never having to deal with that and can just work. And so when you set off on this journey, I mean, was there like some structural changes you had to make on your spending or was it just an awakening of like you already had this amount you were saving and I just need to revert it to some sort of interest growing, I don't know, investment or did you like, because for me it was a big change. Like I actually changed a lot overnight. I mean, did you have to change a whole lot once you discovered this path? No, I would say, I mean, the last probably four years I was working, we were able to save my entire salary. Oh, wow. Okay. You know, so uh, we were already, you know, um, both doing, you know, the max out 401ks, -hmm. plus in addition to that, you know, a lot of after tax uh, investments. Um, So so we were kind of already like set on that path. So um nothing really changed whenever i stepped away as far as as far as our spending or, or mm. anything so at the time when you were still working i mean if you don't mind me asking what what percentage of your total combined income were you saving roughly do you know um it it kind of fluctuates every mm-hmm. year i would say a lot of years about 50% 50% yeah yeah that's kind of the sweet spot i kind of get people to aim for you know you may not be there yet but if if you're saving 50 cents on every dollar. I mean, no, almost no matter what you do with it, as long as you don't, I don't know, maybe throw it all at GameStop or something, <laughs> you're probably going to be in good shape. Yeah. I mean, just that alone. Mm-hmm. And I hear from people all the time who've been doing that for years and are all of a sudden awakened to this fact like, oh, I just haven't been putting it to work though. But even if you put it on your mattress, I mean, saving 50 cents on every dollar is going to set you up. One way or another, eventually. Yeah, agree. There's if if you have that ba- that baseline, you know, there's not too many wrong answers. I mean, so how did you get into investing? Like, I mean, when were you you were you had a four hundred one k, so you mm-hmm. understood investing at some basic. Because when I came into the corporate world, 
I was lost. I mean, they were like, hey, you get this 401k. And I was like, what is that? Like, what do I do with this? I, I mean, I had no clue. Yeah. So I was pretty fortunate. My parents were always like fairly open with money. And really? They, okay. Yeah. They would, you know, show me their 401k. Wow. Balance and, really? And I did not have that said, treatment. You know, <laughs> explain a little bit of the tax advantages and such. And just like, kind of said like, you want to contribute to this. Like, you know, for whenever you start working, you want to like save for your retirement. Um, so I had that kind of background. Um, and then same thing, I guess with, with equities, like I did, you know, the initial penny stock dabbling everyone does like, um, and while like it wasn't super profitable, I did like at least learn a lot. And, you know, I learned what a stock was, learn what bond was, learn what, you know, an ETF, you know, um, versus mutual funds, you know, um, so I did have like that background whenever I started working at 23 mm-hmm. um, to set money aside. In oh, that's 401k. fantastic. That's fantastic. Um, certainly like going back, I would have saved a lot more like after tax investing, you know, rather than at the time I just paid down my house. Um, so after tax investing would be you, you, you've put money into your, some portion of the money is taken out of your paycheck towards your 401k, towards maybe healthcare. This is kind of the typical American uh, workplace situation. You have your taxes deducted, you get your paycheck, and then so you're talking about once you get your paycheck, any other surplus going into a brokerage account, I imagine? Yes, yeah. yes I would have invested. Right. And the brokerage account's really great. I mean, because then you have the world at your oyster. You can pick any index fund, any fund in the world, right? And so you decide to start investing in these index funds and just to give people a broader understanding, basically when you buy one of these index funds, you're buying thousands of companies, right? You're getting this automatic diversification. So did you just decide like, I don't understand this well enough to pick my own stocks? Because I mean, like like right now, I mean, people are on Robin Hood just betting betting their (laughs) lunch money or or lawn mowing (laughs) money on like, I mean, why didn't you... I mean, did you, I guess you started that way, right? Yeah. So I started in the, in the penny stocks back mm-hmm. in like, you know, 2001. So like, um, can you explain kinda, for us what a penny stock is? Yeah. So at the time, um, there were penny stocks trading at like 16th of a penny or like 32nd of a penny. And then like, since they traded in like, you know, 30 seconds then it would double to like a 16th. So I'd set my limit orders to buy and sell, you know, thousands of shares of some probably failing company. <laughs> and it's kind of a rush. It's addictive. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. I mean, it's a lot like going to the casino almost. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Um, and fortunately, I never, I wasn't, you know, doing this with a large amount of money. I mean, it's kind of like gambling. Um, but uh, so I know I didn't really lose any money. I didn't make any money, but I was able to learn to learn a good bit and basically to realize that to actually, in my opinion, to pick individual stocks, it takes a lot of time. Time, 100%. You know, like you have to basically be a stock analyst and really going into the balance sheets and understanding everything And the market is pretty efficient. So it's kind of hard to beat the market unless you almost have like insider trading right. information. Right. Because by the time that that stock price, by the time that information's out and the stock price is already jumping, by the time the average person hears about it, you're so late. Right. And then, and if you see some change in the market and want out, I mean, 
you're always kind of half behind the eight ball anyway. <laughs> yeah. And, and you got to be lucky twice. Yeah. All you that sort of money. You have to get in at the yeah. right time. You have to get out at the right time. Right. So why did you change your ways? What brought you to this just lazy, passive, sit on your ass, just throw it at this giant index fund of thousands of companies? <laughs> um, it's just so much easier. <laughs> you know, it's it's so much easier. I also, you know, don't think I'm a, I'm a genius to really be outsmarting, you know, the market. Like, you read, you know, the stuff that, like, Warren Buffett says, right. you know, that uh, that generally the S&P 500 will return better than these hedge funds, yeah. you know, and they have plenty of PhDs, like, out there trying to beat the S&P 500, and they're not successful, you know. Some years they are, but a lot of years they're not. So, in general, I think the S&P is, you know, built to beat the uh, vast majority of of hedge funds. Right. You you are buying the economy and you're yes. betting that the economy works. And hell, I mean, it does work. We're sitting here, it's Wednesday, we're in Maple Canyon. <laughs> yeah. And neither one of us has to work anymore. So Yeah, so it like, works. you know, I'm I'm bullish on the long-term US growth pro- right. prospects. Exactly. And I mean, hell, that that's patriotism to me, you know. Like, <laughs> you know, you you want to believe that the U.S. economy works, and that's kind of how I've always framed it. It's like, why not I just buy a, a slice of the whole thing? I used I was the same as you. I didn't do the penny stock thing, but I mean, early on, this was when the kind of green movement was really catching steam in the late 2000s. I was like, I'll buy semiconductors and all this stuff, and some of them worked out, and some of them were fantastic failures. Yeah, um, I actually still hold one of them <laughs> that worked pretty well. But in the end, it's just exhausting. It's who wants to read prospective supports and all this stuff. Um, no, that's fascinating. I mean, so was it the blog stuff? I mean, or did you kind of come to this on your own? Um, yeah. So a lot of the uh, after-tax investing, and um, especially you know, just buying the uh, the ETFs, like whenever you could buy anything, mm-hmm. you know, because now you're in a brokerage account. Um, yeah, I think like the blogs kind of led me to that. Um, and such and then you know the little bit of research i did outside of i guess people trying to sell you something mm-hmm. you know most people just recommended you know buying the you know the broad-based stock market okay and so you know and i get this question all the time but doesn't now seem like a bad time to start investing like <laughs> right you know, I mean, let's talk about it like today i mean a lot of people think that the economy and the world's kind of on shaky ground. I mean, we're recording this in in mid-July, and we're coming out of the pandemic. Certainly things feel better than they did a year ago. Um, I mean, what do you say to that? If someone says, you know, I hear you, this sounds really cool, but shouldn't I wait for the next crash, get in cheap? I mean, yeah. what do, you, what do I would, you think? I would say ever since I kind of started following the markets, which is roughly, you know, around like 2010, mm-hmm. it always will feel like a bad time. Right. Like it's either because the S and B 500 is close to, or just hit its 52 week high, or it's complete doom and gloom. It's the, you know, it's the COVID, you know, the COVID recession where it's, you know, even as it's falling, everybody's predicting it's going to fall even lower, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, So it's always going to feel like it's at a peak kind of, or it's just collapsing. Well, and by nature, it usually is. I mean, that's why we do this. We want to believe that what we're buying into in general will go up. And so the very nature of the fact that it generally goes yeah. up means it's usually at a high. And mm-hmm. when things are at a high, everyone thinks it's going to fall. Yeah. Um, there's always that psychology. And I, I kind of want to dig into that because I think a lot of people, 
fundamentally can say, okay, I get it. You're saving 50% and you're investing all that. But the flip side of that is you are, I mean, are you betting on 50% of your money? I mean, that's, I think I, I, you get a lot of people who have trouble getting past this. of like, I don't know if I can part with this money. If I keep it in cash, it feels safe. I mean, any thoughts there? I mean, like, how do you get over that hump of this kind of psychology? Yeah, for me personally, is I feel like, you know, through buying the the stocks, the, the ETFs, you know, I'm buying partial ownership of these companies. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, and basically through that, uh, you know, I'm both collecting dividends and I'm banking on, you know, the companies making more money over time. So I can see what I'm buying. It's that partial ownership of the companies. Um, for me, is like compared to like a cryptocurrency. Mm-hmm. Like I just, I don't understand it. I don't know what I'm buying. Right. I don't right. understand. What's the product? I don't understand like how to value it, you know. Um, so therefore, like, yes, like I wouldn't be able to sleep easy at night investing on that. Whereas stocks, you know, stocks can actually like be valued. You know, there's the price to, to earnings ratio. There's a mm-hmm. bunch of different ways of looking at it, but you can sit down and calculate, you know, that P to E ratio. Do um, you do that? I mean, do you spend time looking at companies and things and these kind of... Um, so not so much individual companies. I will uh, look at different sectors. Mm-hmm. Like right now, like I'm slightly overweight on small caps. Mm. You know, so I'll, we'll look at the um, PD ratio of like um, PE being price to earnings. Price to earnings. Yeah. So like a Vanguard small cap, you know, mm-hmm. VV versus you know the Vanguard U.S. total stock market index VTI. So what are you looking for in this price to earnings? Um, so generally, I look for a lower price to earnings, um, meaning that those shares should be undervalued uh, compared to their earnings. Um, and by this, I'm only really adjusting my allocation by like two and a half to five percent. Okay, so you're so, not looking for a deal to buy into. Yeah, so generally, I'll go slightly overweight in in some sectors, mm-hmm. um, but uh, generally. I have, you know, the vast, the vast set, uh, amount just being set to those percentage allocations and just leave it, leave it at that. So, you know, what are your thoughts? I mean, have you ever struggled with this idea that like the stock market feels like kind of a dirty place? I mean, I think a lot of folks out there, I think, see this as like, oh, you know, this is for the upper crust. This is like where the rich fat cats kind of cheat the system. I don't want anything to do with the stock market. It feels dirty. Like, has that ever, have you ever felt that way? For me, no. Yeah. Um, you know, I'll, I'll say like, I, I feel like the, the tax system is so set up to be advantageous for the stock owners as compared to the W-2 wage earners. It kind of always made me want to go um, that route. Um, so what do you mean? So. What do you mean? Why? why? Well, because like, you know, the capital gains taxes are generally much, much lower than, than your income tax uh, brackets. Right. So, I mean, I think in 2021, I should know this because I was just looking the other day. I mean, you can generate what? I think it's, oh man, this is embarrassing. I think it's upwards <laughs> of $80,000. For a couple, yeah. For a couple and, and generate zero taxable income from capital gains. And so for someone who's never heard any of this, I mean, a capital gain is is that gain you get by being in the market. Whereas your income tax... 
I mean, you're at the, at the very bottom of your 10% off the top already. Yeah. And the more money you make, I mean, you might be in the 20, 24, 30. I don't, I don't forget how the brackets break out. Um, so, I mean, and, and, and in 401k, obviously that's all tax deductible. Right. So, yeah. yeah, that's interesting. I mean, because I hear from a lot of folks who are just like, just have this kind of negative view on the market and, and, and like the idea of this, of this growth and providing for this future. But I mean, maybe you're afraid to invest in, you know, and there are sustainable investments out there. I haven't personally done that either, but I'm just kind of like, I want the whole pie. Yeah. yeah. And, and I will say I have a few friends that I've chatted with about mm-hmm. investing. They say, well, you know, I don't want to be investing in oil companies. Right, right, or, right, right. You know, and such. And yeah, for that, for those people, I think the sustainable investing ETFs are yep. a good thing to look at. And they've actually done, I've looked into it a couple of times. They've done quite well um, in recent times. I mean, I think there is a broader cultural shift towards that. You know, people don't want Walmart. They don't want gun companies. They don't want, yeah, maybe oil companies yeah. of the like. So there are options. So if, if folks are hung up on that, um, you know, obviously we would encourage you to check around. Um, you know, and so digging in a little bit more on this investing psychology, like, I mean, how did you feel in early 2020 or did you change I, anything? Did you, I, I thought it was actually, um, uh, 2020 due to COVID, you know, we were spending even less uh-huh. most people. So we, uh, put as much into, into the, into the stock market as we could. So you had some margin and just threw it in. Yeah. So all of our savings in 2020, we just invested it. And and again, hindsight being twenty twenty, I mean, if we had the chart in front of us, it's been an impressive run. Yeah. Since March, I think twentieth is when it bottomed out. March twentieth, twenty twenty, and it's been on a pretty hell of a ride since then. And there were a lot of voices, same deal as two thousand eight, like this is a virus, this is different. Mm-hmm. Um, but here we yeah. are. Yeah, and I and even you know, even though I was optimistic, very bullish, I was surprised how fast it. It bounced back. I was too. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely, I thought this was going to be a few year run. For yeah. Sure. Um, you know, all right. Actually, I want to ask you about this truck. Um, what are your thoughts? On, so you just bought a truck in the last year. Like, what are your thoughts on how do you plan for these like big one-off expenses? And, and what do you, you know, obviously the, we look around here, there's vans everywhere. I mean, these, these kind of vehicles are becoming more and more the norm. What do you think about these big one time expenses? Yeah, so kind of what we do is we don't, we have a, a yearly budget, okay. which is basically just kind of like looking at how much we spent that year and, you know, just kind of like project that forward, cares how much we'll need in the future and such. Mm-hmm. So for the year, for the vehicles, we just average it out. Oh, so you're like amortizing it across yeah. multiple years. Yeah. Okay. You know, just so. for like something you'll need 10 years from now. Yeah, so oh, we, we basically keep an Excel spreadsheet, you know, with our budget oh, and, it. like, calculating out, like, you know, how much we're saving each year and everything. Um, and basically, we just uh, average out the vehicles and just take that each year. So you're you're planning, like, 10 plus. I mean, if if you just bought a car today, you're averaging for the one you might buy 10 years from now? Yeah. Oh, fascinating. Yeah. So our, I mean... Our current plan is, you know, keep this seven years and maybe we'll get a, an electric truck. Right, right. And see, yeah, we might be forced to by then. See if like the the Rivian is out <laughs> and we can pick up a reasonable <laughs> a reasonable used uh, used version. Now, did you buy 
this outright cash. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah I'm the same. I'm, I'm definitely a buy a vehicle with cash kind of guy. Yeah. And, and we've gone both ways. We've mm-hmm. financed so before, we. um, you know, whenever you can get 0% interest. Um, True. but yeah, uh, Susanna had wanted a new truck for quite a few years. So she, uh, we're kind of like pushed. Do we have the cash sitting aside right, for right. it? So we could pull the trigger for it whenever we decided to. And you had this slide in for a while now, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and do you guys track your spending? I mean, is this something you're always watching or do you have a budget you want to live within or is it just, I know what I spent the last five years. So I'm assuming this next sixth year will be the same. How do yeah. you handle that? So we, we do track it on a, on a yearly basis, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I, I kind of track it on a monthly basis yeah. where each month I just go in, you know, how much do we spend this month? Okay. Um, and it's something, uh, this goes back to the difference between Suzanne and I, like she has no interest in this. Mm. Like once a year, I'll get her to sit down with me and we'll like, we'll go over the spreadsheet, which she set up cause that's what she does right. being an actuary. Um, and we'll kind of just go over it and just kind of see where, where we are and kind of chat with her. And then the rest of the year, like she would just rather not think about money. Huh. I mean that, you know, and I would imagine you agree with me. I mean, that's kind of the benefit of this path. I mean, I I don't think about money very often. I mean, I, it's kind of an odd. Do you have automatic investments? Do you have it set up to every month? You just automatically, I mean, how does that work for you guys? No, we do not. Okay, you don't. Um, and I needed that. Our spending certainly fluctuates pretty okay. heavily. Um, so basically, you know, um, we try not to keep a ton of money in our bank account. Mm-hmm. Um, we use like a, a HELOC as kind of our emergency fund. And basically after we get past like 12 or 15 grand in our bank account, then all the extra money goes into, goes into investments. Tell me about that HELOC actually. That, so that's another thing I'm asked about, you know, how much should people keep in an emergency fund? Where should they keep it? So it doesn't sound like you're keeping one much of at all. No, we, we do not. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and there's a few reasons for it. One is, you know, we we're at or pretty close to our our fire numbers mm-hmm. now, um, and we could very easily scale back our discretionary spending if we wanted to, if we had an emergency or something. Um, so, uh, and then we also have our our HELOC, so we can borrow against our house if we did have some type of emergency. If Susanna lost her job, the stock market crashed, mm-hmm. and we don't want to pull money out. And so, and I, admittedly, I'm pretty ignorant on how the HELOC works. So it's basically it's it's there in case you need it, but you're not collecting anything off of it. Yes. Is that how it works? Yes, okay. it's it's a line of credit, right? You right. know, based off of your house, home so. equity line of credit. Yes. yes. So, and so that explains that you guys are homeowners in Denver then. Yes. Okay. Do you have a mortgage? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. So that's still factored in. You're paying mm-hmm. on that. Yes. Did you have any desire? I mean, this has been a while now, but did you have, or does Susanna have any desire to have that paid off before she would ever walk away from a job or does that concern no, you? No, I, I don't think so. Um, we kind of like alluded to this a little bit. I used to be like, you know, I need to pay, pay down the mortgage. Um, it, but looking back, I wish I would have invested that money mm-hmm. rather than paying down down our mortgage. Um, so I'm just fine having the mortgage balance out there. If we wanted to, we could we could pay it off. But I would rather have that money invested, especially in today's uh, low interest rates. 
Yeah. And this is another one I'm asked about a lot. I mean, paying off the mortgage. Let's do that. Actually, that's a question I've been in an email. I've been uh, forgetting to respond to. So paying off the mortgage versus investing. I mean, so your return on investment on a mortgage is your interest rate, yeah. right? Which for you guys is what? It's 3%, three, yeah, on a 15 year fixed. And we're actually going through the refinancing again. Oh, wow. So you can get it sub, like, sub yeah, three. Yeah, for like two and three eighths. So I can understand the desire not to put a ton. And we've been guilty of this. Honestly, this is where, um, you know, my wife and I kind of butt heads a little bit is we had a three and a half percent. And I'm like, honey, that is the best we can do. And it isn't, it is a bet. I mean, obviously, you don't know the stock market's going to return better. It, in any given year, it might be a better investment to invest in your mortgage. But so why why are you kind of like, I'd rather put it in the market? I think because of what I've learned, you right. know, following the market uh, for the past like 12 to 15 years is I've seen, you know, over time, the stock market is going to have better returns than three or three and a half percent. You know, and for reference... Um, the long-term average on your standard Vanguard index fund is about eight to 10%, depending on whether it's nominal or real returns. But um, yeah, that's going to be better than any mortgage in recent times. Um, but of course, any given year, we have add that disclaimer. I mean, you can lose a fabulous amount of money. Um, you know, the market fell 30% back in early 2020. So putting the money into the mortgage in that moment might have felt a lot better but we've battled with this too and i really am bummed that we actually finished paying down our mortgage right during the worst of the covid thing because we were like ah oh, let's just get it done and man that money would have gone a lot further <laughs> yeah elsewhere so but there there was a lot of feel good about having that gone yeah so you know for anyone listening i mean it, it, it at the end of the day it is a math versus emotions thing. I mean, some people are going to feel really good about having no debt and they're, you know, you shouldn't feel bad about that. My wife's one of those people that at the end of the day wanted to have no debt and didn't really care if their returns were better in the stock market. So, yeah, yeah to, to me, e- either way is, is a good answer. Right. You know, right. is if you're doing something with your mortgage, if with your money, if you're, if you're saving money, if you are paying down your mortgage or investing, either right. one is kind of a yes. Yes, type answer. Do you carry any other debt other than a mortgage? No. Yeah. No, not at the not not at this time. Like I said, we have finance vehicles in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, right now just the mortgage. Now, did you come out of school with student loans and all that stuff that had to get? No, I yeah. I was very fortunate. Yeah. That yeah. I graduated from school debt free. That's great. Which is getting harder and harder to do. Yes, yeah. and that you know that helped me out a lot because then I was able to contribute a large amount to my four hundred one k. You know, in my first year of year of working. Hypothetically, I mean, had you had you come out of school with that, where would you have? Would you have still wanted to invest in the market or get the debt paid down? Or if you had a car in the past, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, where do you put your the bulk of your efforts? Yeah, I certainly at that time. I was a, I was a zero debt person, so right. I would have definitely gone for the debt first. Today, knowing what I know now, I would probably invest, mm-hmm. but it all it all comes down to the interest rate mm-hmm. on on either the student loans or your vehicle or or your mortgage. Okay, well, so you you know you've achieved this life, and I congratulate you on that. <laughs> um, 
I mean, but you're you're 40, so where do you think? I mean, it's a long life. Do you think you'll live like this for upwards of 40, 50 years? I mean, what do you what do you think long term? Um, yes, that's uh, <laughs> that's my career plan. Um, for sure. Um, I have considered with the idea of actually going back to school mm. to get my certified financial planner. Interesting. I do find the financial planning, you know, very oh, yeah. very interesting. Well, we should talk on that cuz I've thought about that too. Um, it is certainly, you know, I have I've helped friends, you know, open up investment accounts and and such and and so yeah, I find that very interesting. Um, but I think I will continue to pursue, you know, the rock climbing for the time being and I have no problem keeping myself busy mm. with either, okay. you know, home projects or uh, or rock climbing or just taking the dog for a walk, you know. So no, no struggle with boredom then. Yeah. And I, I will say I'm not a hyperproductive person. Like, <laughs> I certainly live a much more relaxed lifestyle now that I'm not working than, you know, whenever I was. Yeah. Uh, the stress levels are way, way lower. I think I'm still adjusting to that. <laughs> still kind of corporate mode. Yeah. Still, still in my blood somewhere. Um, t- by the way, did you ever work with a financial advisor? I mm-hmm. mean, you did. Yes. What were your thoughts on that? Um, let's see. So we've, we've actually had, had two through the years. I think neither time did the investments return as well as like the S&P 500. Mm. Um, and we were still in, you know, relatively low cost, you know, um, ETFs. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say, this is like kind of my view, personal, uh, generally financial advisors will split everything up into like 20 or 25 different ETFs. And cause you got like, they want to hit every single, every single piece mm-hmm. of the, of the market. Um, and in the least the past, you know, decade, 15 years, the U.S. market has done so, so well right. that just the S&P 500 has outperformed uh, so much. So that's why generally my own investing is outperformed. But it's been very beneficial just to have, just sit down and like uh, chat with somebody like, hey, right. is this crazy? Like, you know, what's your view? And as being in a relationship where we have entirely different outlooks on investing and money and such it's someone to just bounce ideas ideas off of and just kind of like be like oh yeah that's that's a good idea that works you know so you did do like the assets under management model at some point Mm -hmm. and then you've also done i guess the fee only kind of just sit and chat kind of uh yeah direction kind of conversation actually it was always the assets under management really Yeah. yeah um like years ago like i sold a house um and i guess this was you know before i know what I know today about investing and had invested with a financial advisor Mm. until I felt I was like comfortable enough to manage it on my own. So you did eventually decide I don't need this. I'm Mm -hmm. going DIY. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, did you ever chat with anyone when you decided to leave your job to see if you had enough money? I mean, or did you just like, I know enough about this. I've researched enough. Yeah. So that, that's another thing. Like, you know, it's kind of great just having an outside perspective there. Mm. Um, like, you know, a non-biased, non-biased opinion. Like, yes, like, this is this makes sense. You can make this work. So you did actually have someone tell you, you can quit your job, you're in good shape. Yes. Really? Okay, yeah. interesting. Yeah, I debated that. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, would, would someone feel as good about this as I do? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. 
And I mean, I will say just like, you know, early retirees, you can find financial advisors all over the place. They'll right. say, you know, the, uh, you need a two and a half to 3%, mm-hmm. you know, withdrawal rate or, you know, so that would be your, your life costing two and a half percent of your total portfolio yeah. on any given year. Yeah. Do you recommend folks work with a financial advisor or do you think like if I did it again, I wouldn't do it or. Um, if I did it then, I probably wouldn't do it, especially not back on. I will say whenever for a relationship, if you have differing ideas, mm-hmm. perhaps that can be an easy way to just, you know, if one person wants to invest in equities, the other person wants all the money on their mattress. Right. Maybe that can be, you know, a good way to have an outside opinion. Mm-hmm. Do you assume like your spending will change over the years? I mean, have you modeled that in or is it totally based on today only? Because um, it's another question I get like, well, what about, you know, when you're 70 or 80 or whatever and you need to be in a expensive um, nursing care facility and you haven't worked in 40 years, what are you going to do? Yeah. So for us, uh, what we do is we take what we spend and adjust it for inflation. Okay. Take that going forward and then add in um, medical costs, which is, you know, basically we kind of looked up like how much does it take? Um, what's the average expenses for, for a couple, um, you know, on the ACA? Mm. Like how much are they, they in average paying? So if like, like for a like 10 year horizon, not like 50 years out. Well, so we try to project this 50 years out, okay. but anything projected 50 years out, oh, you know, it's garbage. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you, you're just, uh, varying your inflation by, you know, by a percent is going to dramatically change your model. So what inflation rate do you use? Uh, we use, uh, 3%. That's what I use. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's another current event. I mean, what do you think about that right now? I mean, everyone's kind of I think we're, at least in the news, you see the headlines, people are a little, obviously things have gotten more expensive. I mean, I was just filling up gas today and it was almost four bucks. This time last year, I was spending half that um, when we were on the road. Do you, do you fear that things have gotten expensive and they're going to stay that way? I mean, what do you think about current events, kind of inflation? Yeah. So personally, I'm not concerned about it. I feel like the difference between the core inflation and the total inflation um especially if you subtract out some one-off stuff like mm-hmm. if you subtract out the the used car market's gone through the roof like right. lumber skyrocket i think it's now coming back down um gas is right now high like from what i've seen that's like opec you know cutting production mm-hmm. um so i'm not really too worried about it um for some yeah. yeah, I think I think it'll drop back down. We might not see the return, you know, to 2%. It might be, you know, 3.2 or 3.5 for a few years. But then, but long term, I think it's going to go yeah. back to 3. And, yeah, because you and I were a bit per- pessimistic, honestly, using 3. I mean, it's been closer to 2 for yeah. a long time. Yeah, and that's um, just to have a little bit of, you know, it's, it's a little bit conservative. Sure. I'm built with you. in. Yeah. I'd rather err on the yeah. cautious side. And, and I will say like back to like how we project things out is our assumption for like long-term care. I know mm-hmm. you've had people ask about long-term care is we don't value the money we have in our house, mm. in our assets. Right. Um, so kind of planning, you know, if we're 80 or 90 at some point there, you know, moving into assisted living or something, you know, we'll be selling our house. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. and then, 
that money we sure. can put into sure. that. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of the same way. I've always I've tracked them both. Obviously, I want to know the value of the home over time, but I would never considered my like liquid net worth to include the value of the home, yeah. even if it was paid off. Um, and folks disagree on that, but why not just take the conservative, much lower value? Because um, yeah, once the value of the house is included, that's a that's a big bump uh, from perhaps what you've saved. I mean, unless you've saved a lot. Yeah. Um, do you have you ever toyed with the uh, health savings accounts? We have not because mm, yeah. we get the uh, insurance through Suzanne's employer, um, which is pretty good uh, healthcare insurance. So we're not on a on a high deductible plan, right? And yeah, just for folks out there, I mean, I've talked about this a, a, quite a lot, but you do have to be on a high deductible plan to qualify for this HSA. And I don't want to get too in the weeds, but it is a it is a fantastic retirement tool, and it's what we've decided to use as kind of our long term healthcare play, and just let this account grow, which we contributed to during our working years, and and depending on part time work we take, we could contribute again and let that grow as a retirement account in the market, and then you know, 30 years down the road, 50 years down the road, it can be quite sizable. And our goal is just to not touch ours, not use it as a, because once you are at a certain age, I believe it's 65, you can withdraw off that without penalty for anything. It doesn't even have to be healthcare related, but um, yeah, I'm just curious. Some, some folks don't have that available at all at their employer. So yeah, they're great if you can grab one, but you do have to take that, um, you know, stance on whether you're comfortable with a, high deductible healthcare plan. But I mean, so, you know, someone's coming into college, they're in their early twenties, maybe they're psyched on climbing and they've got a mechanical engineering degree. I mean, what do you tell them to do on day one? Like they're in this career, they're making money that they've never made before. They've got this frugal college lifestyle. How would you coach them? Yeah, I would, you know, max out your 401k. If you're not over the income limits, you know, do the uh, a, a Roth IRA um, if that's available to you. Um, if you really want to pursue this, you know, do the uh, after-tax investments through a brokerage fund. Mm-hmm. You know, um, pick your your low-cost ETFs. Like my favorite is VTI. Like that's my mm-hmm. that's my largest holding. Um, and and then go for there. Go from there. Like you're. Your savings should, you know, absolutely snowball and totally grow. And uh, I would say, like, look at my own past. Like, it may have been ad- advantageous to take a year off at, you know, 27, 28. Um, but I'm totally psyched I was able to do it at, you know, 35. Right. I mean, and, and the flip side of this coin, undoubtedly, we know a handful. What do you say to the climber who just says, well, you know, I can either... I can either climb and I don't make much money or I got to go work in a cubicle and, and live this kind of miserable life of being a corporate drone because you've, you've seen both sides of the mm-hmm. coin. I mean, how, do you, do you get these conversations occasionally? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I gotta say, you know, do what, do what you want. Like if being the corporate world is going to drive you insane. Right. Even for then, five years. Like if it's right, going to immensely right, right. drive you insane. And there's people like that, you know, right. they cannot be locked up in a, right. in a cubicle. I think we all and, know a few, yeah. And have any quality of life. That said, there are a lot of weekend warriors out there right. that do the cubicle thing and climb a lot and, you know, are very successful at climbing. Yeah. I mean, you, you went on your first trip and sent 514. I mean, you didn't just come out from the corporate world as a 510 climber. I mean, you were were making some things happen. Yeah. 
So yeah. yeah, actually, when you first left your job, how long did you travel? Um, not like nonstop, but that fall I went to the red for, uh, for six weeks. Uh-huh. Um, and then in between, like, I think I left my job July 30th. I think about half that time between then and the red was spent, was spent on travel. Wow. Of either backpacking or rock climbing or. Cool. Or having some type of adventure. Was well, there um, anything else we haven't covered? Any other words of advice? Anyone out there just kind of new to this stuff? Anything else you'd tell them? Um, I guess back back to the to what we kind of touched on in that it's always going to be it's always going to be a difficult day to start investing, right? You know, and um, I think just realize like. If you are optimistic about the long-term prospects of the of the U.S. or the world, you know, look at that as enabling you to sleep well at night. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it, I think it was like a quote by Warren Buffett or somebody. You know, the best time to invest was always was always a month ago. <laughs> right, know, like, sometime in the past, exactly. Yeah, sometime in the past. I'm so, fond of quoting that. Yes, and I think... Second best time is now. And I think the uh, the media, you know, like, it's kind of like a page clicks. Like, mm-hmm. you know, they are getting more more page views and such with the doom and gloom type articles rather than the right. everything is sunny articles, so... That's a good, that's a fantastic point because I think a lot of the fear in investing is driven by just watching the damn news. Yeah. And, um, yeah, bad news... Bad news pays, whether or not it's actually based in reality. And then I guess like as far as like rock climbing advice, I would say like- Yeah, let's do that. If if you have goals, seek seek them out. Like get on that route you always are talking about. Do you You find yourself to be a goal-driven climber? Oh, yeah. Are you? Okay. Oh, yeah. Because you seem pretty laid back about it. I, that's changed. Okay. That's the not working. Really? Okay. if we were doing this and I was still working, I'd be bouncing off the walls. Really? Okay. yeah. Um, now I don't have to be the first on the rock. Like, right, like, right, I, right. I've become much, much more laid back. Um, yeah, like, you know, like I say, you know, like I have a, a count of how many 12s and 13s and, yeah, and everything. We didn't talk about that. <laughs> T- tell but, people how many you, you, your five, five, 12 and 13 count. What are you up to now? <laughs> yeah. This so is a little old. Recently this year, I made like a long-term goal of climbing a thousand five twelves, five thirteens, and five fourteens. So. Yeah. Um, that was kind of a, a long-term goal, which, uh, I don't know. It's kind of amazing. I've tracked it for that long in Excel. Seriously? I've got my Excel spreadsheet. I got mine too. Where I've like attracted all that. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, I'm definitely less of a goal-oriented climber than I, than I used to be. And I think the not working has helped that. I resonate 100% with that. I used to be, yeah, I mean, if you got to get out on a Saturday, especially front range, mm, I mean, mm-hmm. with it's busy it is, you're, you're super aggro about getting the warm-ups in and getting ahead of the crowd. Yeah. And it's your one day to shine. You don't get to choose the weather windows. Yeah. 100% resonates with me. Um, and yeah, so just going off that, you know, like I know so many people who just always talked about this route they wanted to go and get on you know, make it happen, you know, go get on it. Like, uh, if you always save it for the absolute perfect conditions, you know, mm-hmm. it may, it may never happen. I mean, do you, do you project much? I mean, are you, are you more kind of a get it done quick kind of guy? I'm more of a get it done quick kind yeah. of guy. My, I, uh, something I always tr- am uh, like each year I do try to pick out a few projects. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
I've also learned like I shouldn't try to force myself in a box that mm-hmm. like I don't want to be in. Like I should just do what I enjoy. And we're talking primarily yeah. sport here, right? Yeah, that's your main yes. gig. Yeah, we didn't clarify that. Yeah, this is not five thirteen up in Yosemite. <laughs> no. But one of my long term goals is to send a five thirteen at, at like Indian Creek. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. So you're 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 pretty well based then. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or maybe do another wall or you know okay. something like that. Hmm. That's a lot of work. <laughs> do you have a goal you're psyched on right now? You want to, you would uh, put out there to the world or no? Oh boy, um, I've got all kinds of all kinds of goal routes. I guess there's like there's a few 13 Ds in rifle. I'd like to. Oh yeah. Hopefully put down Excellent. this year. The I feel like where I'm failing is the commute, the I-70 commute. Seriously, so. man, I don't miss that. <laughs> I need the to... Sunday, <laughs> Sunday 70 eastbound. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But at least you can get out there during the week, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That all my rifle experience was on weekends, and oh, man, it's soul-destroying <laughs> yes. to come back to Denver on a Sunday. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, leaving on Friday, you either have to leave by 1 yep. or 10, or a Saturday morning, like, leave at 6. And you wonder why over the years you start getting cranky. Mm-hmm. That's why the front-range <laughs> climbers are a little cranky on the weekends. Yeah. Yeah. They should be forgiven. <laughs> Anything else we haven't discussed? Um, I think we've covered it. Thanks, man. Is is there is there any? Are you out there on the internet? You're not. You're not a big internet guy. No, I'm no. not. Um, I, good. I do good. my my Facebook flip by, but uh, um, that's about it. Okay, well, I'll have yeah. to get some links if people want to find you somewhere. Yeah, can... yeah, I'll give you my Facebook okay. link. And okay, I do have an Instagram page. It's not too much on it. But... It's a little bare. I looked it up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Your last post was like three years ago or something. I uh, know. <laughs> yeah. But uh, we'll put it out there because everyone, it's all the rage. So that's where they'll find you. Yeah. Thanks, man. Cool. Appreciate it. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah. Hey, all right, guys. Thanks for staying all the way to the end on this interview with Mike Tritt. You can find Mike on Instagram at disturbingthepeace17 because, hey, I guess that Mike Tritt is disruptive after all. I'd also appreciate it if you could head over to your podcast app of choice and leave a review. That really means a lot. I'm just getting started with this thing, and so those reviews mean their weight in gold. Finally, it would mean a ton to me if you could subscribe and then head over to the website and subscribe there as well. I put a lot of work into this website. I'm just trying to get some information out there for the world, because I think it's important. And I think this stuff is not taught in schools and is not effectively really taught anywhere. Um, So the more the merrier, and I think we'll all benefit. So if you could head over, leave a review, subscribe, I'd appreciate it. We'll see you on the next one. Bye guys.